welcome to Our Story, a podcast where ordinary people share extraordinary stories. My name is Aterva, and today I'm joined by my friend, Mariela Robledo. Hey, Mariela, how are you? Hey, Aterva, I'm doing good. How are you doing today? I'm a little bit relieved because I was very stressed this whole week, but uh, right now I could breathe a sigh of relief because my semester is finally over today. <laughs> oh, no, that's good. I forgot that you were taking classes. That's pretty cool. How was yeah. it? Was semester two or semester one? This is semester two. Yeah, semester two, and uh, I'll find out how I did. Honestly, I couldn't tell you, but uh, hopefully I did well. I'm pretty confident that you were A plus 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 plus. <laughs> I'm glad one of us had that has that confidence. I believe in you. <laughs> You're always that person that supports, uh, you know, not only in your job, and we'll get into what that looks like, uh, but also outside of your job and even in your personal life. I think so. Uh, I really respect that about you, Mariela. But before we dive into any of that, I want to get to know uh, Mariela's a little. Can you give us a little bit of background of your upbringing? Yeah, so I was born in Yuma, Arizona. But I didn't grow up in Yuma right away. I, my parents were, uh, at the time, were field workers. So they were super busy Monday through Saturday. Um, so I grew up in a small, a very small town. They're called Ejidos in Mexico. It's called um, Ejido Distrito Federal. Very small town in uh, the major city of Mexicali. So I grew up over there with my grandparents from my mom's side of the family. Um, and when I was old enough to come to back to school, I moved back to the Yuma area. There's another small town called Somerton, Arizona. So that's where my parents' home is. That's where I went to elementary and middle school. And then after that, um, we didn't have a high school in the Somerton area. So high school was in Yuma. So that's where I went to high school out there, Kofa High School. Hmm. Okay, so let me understand this. You said you were born in the U.S., but because both your parents were working, you said Monday to Saturday, uh, you grew up with your grandparents in Mexico. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Since I was a couple okay. months old, I think. I don't remember how old I was. I think my mom said I was maybe three months old, old-ish. Okay, so do you have uh, like childhood memories from Mexico? What was growing up uh, with your grandparents like? Oh, I loved it over there. It's a very small town, and I still I still call it one of my favorite places. It's a it's still a very underdeveloped town. You know, most people have built their own homes. Uh, a lot of people don't still have, um, you know, for example, some people still don't have their bathrooms inside the home, so they have to like make like an outhouse outside. Or some people may not have an actual kitchen, so they get like buckets of water to wash their their clothes or to wash their dishes. You know, so it's definitely very underdeveloped. There isn't really any roads. Everything's dirt. It mainly has, there's usually one large, just one road that connects all these small ejidos to each other so that the major trucks can drive through it when they're delivering goods between places. Um, When I go there, my phone doesn't work. I don't really have, there is now internet access, but it's not always very reliable. So I always feel that we're, you know, very disconnected in a positive way, though. Like, I can actually go out there and get disconnected. There isn't really anything electronic that's keeping my attention. And, oh, no, I just felt like living out there, it was very humbling. And it's something that I always really enjoyed. I remember. That's awesome. Yeah, I remember when I first had to move out of Mexico. You know, I didn't really understand the, you know, the when I was younger, that at some point I had to go back to the U.S., 
So I remember at the time, like, throwing a fit about it and being like, oh, I feel like I'm being punished. I don't want to go back over there because I really love living in Mexico. But I'm very thankful that my parents um, brought me back. Got it. And how old were you when you moved back to the U.S.? I was probably a little bit, uh, five, probably five years in a couple months because I think I had just turned five that April and I started kindergarten in the following August, I think. Hmm, got it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know you have siblings. What is the age gap between you guys? And did they have a similar situation where they grew up in Mexico and moved back to the U.S.? Yeah, we all had the same except for my little brother. So we all have anywhere between six to four years in between each other. So my sister, so this year I turned 30. And my sister Alexis, 24, she'll be 25 this year. Um, my sister Jocelyn is going to be 21 later this year. And my little brother, uh, Mario, he is going to be 16 in August. So we all have like four to six years in between each other. Alexa and Jocelyn were in the same boat. Uh, my parents were still working uh, at the time. And they grew up with my grandparents in Mexico. And when they were old enough, they moved back to the U.S. By the time that my little brother was born, all of us were already old enough. I was already 14. And the other one was, I think, maybe eight or nine. Of the, eight or nine, the other one was like four so I think we were old enough already, and the situation was a little bit different. So he actually grew up with, with us in the U.S., but he was the only one. Got it. So did you kind of have to put the parent hat as well when your parents were out working? I wouldn't say that I was like a parent, but I was more like a babysitter in the afternoons. Mm. You know, my parents would go mm-hmm. to work super early in the morning. And um, so most of the time they were leaving by like five in the morning, they were gone. And then... They were coming back pretty late, so they will get back home between probably 7 and 9 p.m. Almost every single day, Monday through Saturday. And usually their only day off was was on Sunday, unless they had to work for whatever reason. You know, but our dynamic was definitely very different, you know, as other people in high school. I had a lot of peers that had other activities going on in the afternoon, or they were just able to do other stuff that I I wasn't really able to because I had to go back. I had a responsibility to go back home right away. To make sure that I was there before my siblings started coming back to school, from school, sorry. Got it. Okay. So just so I understand, like this sounds like a 12 plus hour day every day from Monday to Saturday and sometimes uh, Sunday mm-hmm. as well. Uh, so like, were you, I guess, the eldest in the family most of the time? Like how often did you get to see your parents? Oh, we, we saw them in, in the afternoons, but only for a, mm, maybe an okay. hour to a day. Because they will come in uh, from work anywhere between 7 to 9. So we would see them briefly before they went to sleep. But they were always really tired. So we, I wouldn't say that we got a lot of interaction. And the only time that we had the opportunity to really spend time as a family was usually on Sundays. Gotcha. Okay. So that's a, a very interesting, uh, you know, dynamic. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way you described Mexico, it actually describes my great-grandparents' house uh, when I would visit them. And it was a similar thing, like when I would go there. So we lived in a bigger city. My great-grandparents lived in a pretty rural part of town. And it was exactly the setting you described, you know, like the outhouse setting. Uh, but being off the grid had like its own um, like its own attraction to it. Like I always loved going there, even though I was disconnected from any television. Uh, not even like uh, radio was a thing. So um you know, I always enjoyed just the peacefulness of growing in that type of environment. So I could definitely relate there. Um, and then as far as uh, 
you described, you know, going to school and coming home and your parents would, you would usually just see over the weekend. So I know for a fact, like you have a passion for learning and teaching other people. How did that get nurtured? Like, were you always interested in school? Like, were you self-taught? How did that work out? That's a really good question. I really don't know, you know, because my parents didn't go to school. I think my mom only went to first grade in Mexico and my dad went most of when he first started thinking elementary school was in Mexico. And then he went to middle school in Somerton, so in the U.S., in Arizona. But then he didn't go to school after that. So I think that it was always mainly about survival, you know, living paycheck to paycheck. We just had enough, usually, to get through the week. So I'm not really sure hmm. how that happened. I don't know. It just, I think that usually when I would go home, you know, even when we lived in Somerton, we didn't have phone, we didn't have internet or computer. I didn't really have anything to entertain myself with. So usually um, what I would do is just read you know, just study, just read books, read my textbooks. You know, I will read them so much sometimes that, you know, when you go back to school and you have to do a test, I almost memorize it like word by word. You know, because at home I read Oh, wow. I had nothing else to do. <laughs> so I like that, just read books all the time. Okay, that's really interesting because uh, I didn't know that about your parents. Um, and that actually makes me respect your story even more because you went on not only to graduate past middle school, but you graduated high school and you went into uh, Arizona State. Is that correct? Yeah, I went to ASU. ASU. And uh, walk us through like how that transition occurred. Like why did you choose ASU and the degree you chose? Yeah, when, when uh, both for degree, I didn't really know a lot about it. And I still think I have a lot of opportunity there too. When it comes to even, you know, recently I had my one-on-one with with uh, my manager and we talk about what career looks like and I always panic. I'm like, I don't know, I don't know what I wanna do. You know, I'm still learning when it comes to what career paths are and whatnot. But uh, when I was growing up, I only knew careers based on people that I interacted with. I knew that they were teachers. I knew that they were, you know, doctors um, or what else. Uh, When I went to high school and I took an art class, I knew about artists and architects. So usually what I would know was based on what I was exposed to. So when I first started at, um, at AAC, no, sorry, AAC, at Kofa High School, I really wanted to be an architect just because I heard a lot about architecture and I have a passion for art and creativity. So that's what I really wanted to do. And But I don't know, I've always been kind of competitive. I think that the reason I'm very competitive is that when I first moved to the U.S., I didn't know English. And I was always very self-conscious about that. So through elementary school, that was kind of my learning phase. I had to stay and sometimes for after school programs so I can learn it better. By the time that I went to middle school, I was a little caught up already. But by the time that I was in high school, I was a lot more confident. So I just had felt that I would, I always felt like I was behind all the time. And it was the first time that I was already caught up with everybody. So I got like a lot of drive to, I wanted to be ahead. I wanted to be the best of the best and do everything, you know, as best as I could. So I was very driven and even though I was taking, um, you know, art classes because I was convinced I was going to be an architect one day, you know, I had a lot of really smart peers as well when I was at Kofa that were very driven and they had, um, they were signing up for all the honors classes and they sounded difficult and because I was very driven and very ambitious. I'm like, that sounds really hard. I have to take that class because it sounds hard and I want to prove that I can do it. So I ended up taking through all of high school, all the honors classes you know, with a lot of other core students that were taking honors classes as well. So right before 
I think it was like junior year or senior year, I took a class in engineering. That was the first time I have really heard about it. It was very focused on like aerospace and, and civil engineering. So it kind of caught my attention. Of, I really like creativity, but I really like math and I was really good at it. So I felt that maybe civil engineering was kind of closer to kind of what I wanted. It still had some elements I thought at the time of architecture, but it had arts and it had creativity. But um, that the summer between, um, I think it was junior year to and senior year, uh, one of my counselors uh, had heard about a summer program at ASU that was for women engineering. And it was specifically for high school girls. And at first I didn't really know what that meant. I didn't think I wanted to be an engineer. So I was a little bit resistant. I'm like, I don't want to go. And I couldn't really afford to go. So um, uh, they ended up helping me out to fundraise so I can so I can attend. And then ASU gave me a partial scholarship. So for an entire week in the summer, I think that was in 2007, um, I ended up going in and learning about different types of engineering. And I learned, I almost wanted to do all of them. Everything was super exciting. I had never heard about this before. I really liked the creativity of it and what you can do with it. But at the end, I ended up choosing chemical engineering. And um, so I ended up going to ASU to study my bachelor's in science and chemical engineering, which I, I don't feel like I do a lot of chemical engineering anymore, but I'm really glad that I that that's what I chose because I feel like it took me to the right places so that I could get where I am today. Wow, that's incredible. So let me just try to like recap what you what you explained because I think there's such an incredible story right there because you said when you first moved back to the U.S., you know, you grew up in this rural Mexican town where you were pretty much off the grid. And when you moved back to the U.S., you had to learn English uh, pretty much from mm-hmm. scratch. So you always had this learning curve that you were trying to conquer and that competitive drive that you had inherent in you, uh, you know, really pushed you into not just achieve to catch up to everyone, but you also wanted to be the very mm-hmm. best. The way you managed to do that is whatever you saw around you as the best, you try to be it or best it. And you took the hardest classes, you took the honors classes. And for you, the scope of what you thought a career could be was whatever was exposed around you. So the teachers, you know, what what your parents saw, what your classmates did. And then you were exposed to this summer program that that, you know, showed you this engineering side of things. And you fell in love with that and you decided that not just to uh, go with what you knew, but continue to challenge you even further and choose one of the hardest majors, which is chemical engineering. And uh, you graduated with a chemical engineering degree. Is that accurate? That whole yeah, story? I'm very proud that I had the opportunity to go to, to get my degree. <laughs> Has anyone told you that's incredible? Yeah, my family is really proud of me. Yeah, I am too. And I'm so glad to be friends with someone that has such an incredible story. So Mariela, the story actually doesn't even end there. After graduation, uh, walk us through, you know, what career path that was set for you. You kind of alluded that the degree not necessarily applies to what you do today, but it helped you get to where you are today. So walk us through what that career path looked like. And actually, that's where our paths met. You know, so before I graduated, um, I don't know, I just felt like I always was very fortunate that I found people that really believed in me. And I had the opportunity to do a lot of research. So I don't know, I was, you know, I remember when I was interviewing, when I, uh, before I graduated with uh, from ASU, 
there's a lot of people that looked at my resume and they're like, are you a grad student? And I'm like, no, because I had done so much research <laughs> before I had graduated. But I was like, in, I was doing, you know, academic research in, in material science and electrical engineering and aerospace. I was just doing a little bit of a lot just to learn because I like learning. And one of the things that I had the opportunity to do uh, because of, uh, you know, how I was just very interested in looking at different things. I had really good opportunities to do some summer internships. Mainly, there were a lot of R&D focus, except for the last one. So I was convinced I wanted to go get a PhD. I wanted to do material science. It was my passion. And uh, the last, but I had done so much R&D internships, and I had done a lot of research. So that my last summer before I graduated, I decided that I just kind of needed something different. And my thought was, maybe I should do something more operations related because realistically, you know, if I want to be a great R&D person one day, I have to understand how that affects, you know, operations in the long, you know, down the road, it's going to affect operations somehow. And I think it would be great for me to have this experience. So I had the opportunity to do an internship with a medical device company and operations as an like ops intern. And that was just, I don't know, that, it was very interesting to me that I'd, I was so convinced that I wanted to do you know, uh, research and work in the lab forever and ever. Me and my beakers, you know, I love beakers so much. And, <laughs> and I just working with people and seeing how, what I could help them do would make such a, you know, a difference, but so quickly made me just very excited to be, you know, an engineer that supported operations instead of being an R&D where you might be working on a project for 10 years before you see something, you know? And so I got really inspired by that. So then after that internship, I remember going back to my my uh, my uh, research professor, my advisor, and letting them know that I just felt like my calling was more in operations. And they were very happy for me, but they were a little bit heartbroken because I was supposed to go, you know, back <laughs> the following year to work with them with my PhD. So, but they were very supportive, and I was always thankful for that. But I didn't really know what I wanted to do. You know, like I mentioned, I don't have, I didn't have a lot of direction on what career path was. I remember people asking me, you know, when, because I was studying chemical engineering, people would ask me, well, what do you want to do? I'm like, well, I want to be a chemical engineer. They're like, well, yeah, that's your degree, but what are you going to do with it? I'm like, I don't know, maybe a chemical engineer. I didn't understand that there were careers, you know, like process engineer, operations, or whatever it was. I, I didn't understand that. So I decided, I, I don't know how I, I heard or, or something about rotational programs. And I started looking online, and then I decided that, I thought that maybe the best thing for me, since I like learning a little bit of a lot, was to do a rotation program so that I can just get exposed to a lot of things. So hopefully I could figure out what my, my true calling was. And uh, I interviewed with so many places, but I just never felt such a great connection as I did when I interviewed with General Mills. I had the opportunity to go to one of their sites, and um, it was in Joplin, Missouri. It was very far away. I had to fly to a different state and then take you know, it took a while. Let's just say that. Almost an entire day of traveling. <laughs> yes, it is in the middle of nowhere. It took a very long time, you know, so they really wanted to make sure I wanted it. You know, it took me a very long time to get to Joplin. Finally, 10 p.m. I didn't, I didn't know your interview was no, there. No, I went to my, my interview at Joplin. I don't know why. You know, they have the Albuquerque plant. I have no idea. But uh, my interview <laughs> happened to be in Joplin. Apparently, I'm not sure oh. how this happened, but I heard that other people for the program were actually going to um, headquarters to interview. So I have no idea what was different with me that they sent me to a plant instead. But um, I, other people I had heard had actually interviewed at headquarters. But I was very glad that I had the opportunity to do that. And 
inter- you know, by talking to the technicians and talking to the other people in the rotational program and everyone was just so passionate. And I just remember like leaving that day and feeling like I really wanted to work there. I'm like, I really want to work for General Mills. I really want to work with people, you know? And um, so I had the, a great opportunity the following year to, uh, so I accepted a, a role with General Mills and their manufacturing and um, an engineering associate program, so MEA. And I chose Albuquerque just because, I don't know, it just felt like such a different place compared to wherever, wherever, everywhere else I had lived before. And it just sounded very, you know, green and there was a lot of outdoorsy things that I usually didn't get to do in the super scorching hot Arizona. So it just felt like it would be. I find it that you describe Albuquerque as green because I guess it makes sense for you because you're <laughs> yeah. from Arizona. But <laughs> I don't... <laughs> Coming from the East Coast, Albuquerque was definitely not oh, to green. Me, I feel like it was really green, you know. <laughs> I mean, Al- Albuquerque is beautiful. It's beautiful. I absolutely love it there. I agree. But yeah, that's actually where our paths crossed in Albuquerque. And similar uh, story as you, Mariela. Uh, when I graduated college, I was also in the same boat as you know, not really defined in what career path I wanted. So I was exploring options that gave multiple. Uh, you know, opportunities. So this career development program, they called it. Uh, we did a rotational uh, stint in all the manufacturing engineering roles in a manufacturing plant. And we were in the Albuquerque facility where, you know, we did Nature Valley products. Uh, so Nature Valley granola bars and cereal products. So, you know, very famous cereal products that you guys probably know, tricks, Cocoa Puffs, um, you know, all the good stuff. <laughs> so that was a two-year program. And Mariela, walk us through those two years for you in Albuquerque and uh, what that experience was like so for I you. So I did uh, most of um, the, well, out of the four different roles that we did, the second to the last one was the team leader role with people leadership. But before that, we had the opportunity to do all these other engineering ones. And I was very passionate about it. And I remember that uh, people in our MEA program as well would make fun of me because every time I would go to one of the rotations, I'm like, I love this rotation so much. I love it. And I would go to the next one. I'm like, I love this rotation. It's like, I love it so much. And I remember that they would joke with me saying that I can't love all my rotations. I need to pick one because that's going to help me determine my career path in the future. You know, so I just thought it was funny, but I did truly love all of them. You know, I, I worked, I had really great mentors in each one of them. I had the opportunity to work with different people you know but I was very system focused and continuous improvement focused about how do I optimize the system and that was kind of what my passion was but I remember when I was getting ready to go from the uh, the the first the rotation on uh, process lead, lead rotation to my next one which was actually no it was from reliability to to um to people leadership for team lead um, I remember that I mentioned to my manager at the time that I I was just concerned that if I had my people leadership role in the same department, that I would just be too focused on the system and not on learning about people leadership. And I really wanted the opportunity to learn a different system, which is why instead of doing my people leadership rotation in the chewy granola bars, I had the opportunity to do crunchy instead, just because I didn't know the system. I didn't know the people, you know, so it was just going to be like really starting from scratch. And... Yep, and for folks that don't know Mariela, Chewy Granola Bars is just like a different manufacturing process with its own equipment compared to the Crunchy Granola Bars, 
that has its own process, its own system, and its own people. So it's two separate departments uh, under the same uh, like overarching. Mm-hmm. Um, They're very different. Well. You would, you wouldn't realize, I guess, how different they are, but they definitely are. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. Next time you go in the grocery store and see a shelf with from granola bars, um, and you see a Nature Valley crunchy granola bar and a Nature Valley chewy granola bar, uh, know that Mariela, Mariela and I had a part mm-hmm. in making that. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm so very proud of it. I like to go look at the code to see where it was made. <laughs> oh, to this day, 100%. Whenever I go to the grocery store, the first thing I look at where it was made and if it was made on my lot. Made what shift. I'm like, which shift did this? <laughs> exactly. No, but I just remember that, you know, that's, so that's what I said, right? I want to focus on people leadership. I don't want to focus on system. So then the first week of my rotation, I was walking around with the manuals, you know, just like, and, and I, was, I kept thinking, I'm going to learn everything about the system and help my team make it better. You know, and I remember doing that for like an entire week. I was walking around just reading this, getting to know everybody, but at the same time still reading the manual because I wanted to be technical on the system. But then uh, one of the things I really like to do is that I like to do, for example, a third vibe, tell me your 101. Everything about, you know, if I was taking a class about you, anything you want me to know, just tell me anything, you know? And so it was really interesting because we had a couple of team members that were that I thought were very quiet, but once you asked them that question, they just got really excited and they just started talking. And I remember following one of them for like two hours running around the entire system because they were just like sharing everything about their life. And they're talking about how much they love the company, what the career path was going to be. And I was just so excited. I don't know. I don't know how to explain it, but I felt like there was like a switch that changed. And instead of focusing on, I want to help this person fix the system. I wanted to be more of, I want to help them accomplish everything they want to accomplish. I want to help them do that. And I don't know. I don't know. It was just so within the first week, you know, I had just got in there and I just realized that I just wanted to help them be able to achieve what they wanted to achieve. And I don't know. It, it was just, very transformational for me. I never realized that that's what I would like to do. I always mention to people that I think that because of the roles that I have, a lot of people assume I'm very extroverted, but I'm very naturally introverted. So it actually takes a lot of energy out of me to be friendly and talkative all the time. But um, I don't know, like I just never, because I was growing up so quiet and shy when I was younger, I never expected to me to have the type of interests in careers or people leadership as I ended up having later on but I always thank General Mills and the people at Albuquerque for helping me find what my my true calling was. Yeah that's awesome and I could say firsthand we definitely had a lot of good people uh, that really shaped both of our careers and you know early on when we were just first starting out really helps structure our careers to what it is today. So very grateful for everyone in Albuquerque. Uh, great place, great people. And, uh, you know, I have many fond oh, memories from there. So Marila, that's where our paths crossed. And we became very good friends because we were, uh, you know, out of towners to Albuquerque. <laughs> we were in the same program, having those crazy schedules, sharing crazy stories from work um, and, you know, just learning from each other. Uh, me more from you than the other way around. And, uh, you know, we, we would, <laughs> uh, I think so many days we would just go grab food wherever we could just to like try out the new cuisines in town, explore the town for what it had to offer. So if I were to ask you, what is like one thing of Albuquerque that you could take with you? What would that be? 
Like if there's one piece of Albuquerque that you missed that you wish you had in Arizona with you today, what would oh that my be? Gosh. I don't know. I just feel that the the life in Albuquerque is so relaxed. And I don't I think that, you know, everything here and I don't know if it's just because of the traffic, but everything's just so busy, busy all the time in Phoenix. You know, but I just remember Albuquerque was just so relaxed and I felt even though I know that it, you know, technically, if you look at the data, it's not always the safest place. I always felt safe when I was there. I love the views. I just love driving and looking at the mountains. And I really do miss the food. I had a lot of places that were my go-tos. And, uh, <laughs> that was yeah. our favorite thing to do in Albuquerque. We would just choose a restaurant every week and <laughs> try to play. That's what we did. <laughs> we ate so much. You know, and I don't know, I just felt like everything was so relaxed. And I just felt very, I felt safe and I don't know, I just love exploring. I think that almost every time that we have the same shifts off, we were doing like day trips in two places and we're just looking at everything. I feel like um, New Mexico in general is very underrated. There's just so many beautiful places that I don't think that a lot of people would expect to see. But Agreed. Agreed. It is a hidden gem. I always tell people, like, whenever they ask, like, oh, where should I go on vacation? Like, they're always surprised yeah, to hear me on. say New Mexico. Or New Mexico anywhere, you know? Uh, definitely here. Yeah. <laughs> if you love the outdoors, New Mexico is a place. Here, I don't think you ever got to meet one of my first roommates when I moved back out here before I purchased a home. But I remember one time we were sitting down and we wanted to get food. And she's like, You choose Mariela, wherever you want to eat. You just came back and you can pick whatever. And then I just kept looking on, online and everything was just like mainstream, you know, just like big chains of food. And I didn't want any of them. I wanted something special, you know. And I think that New Mexico was really good at that. They just had. They were just very creative with their food and everything was just so unique and I loved it so much. And I'm just like, but I don't want anything. And I think it took me like 30 minutes. I'm just me scrolling, trying to pick food, but I didn't want any of it, you know, because I already had, you know, my favorites <laughs> over there. And it was definitely very difficult to come back out here and be like, I don't remember anything. I don't know. I used to live here for so long and I don't even remember what I liked before, you know, so I'm just trying to figure out my life all over again. But definitely. Yeah, we were definitely um... Do you remember what our uh, favorite go-to spot was? Exactly. The milkshakes are the best in the world. (laughs) Do you remember Uh, that Good times. Where I couldn't drink coffee and you couldn't drink um, milkshakes? (laughs) (laughs) I do. (laughs) Nobody believed in us. We made it. it. That's right. Yes, my advice is uh, ice cream and milkshakes and yours was coffee. <laughs> oh, that was fun. Uh, good times. Okay, so after Albuquerque, Mariela, um, I know you moved back closer to home. Uh, walk us through what that career involvement was yeah, for you. Coming back to uh, um, Arizona, I had a really good opportunity to work for a medical device company. I really love it there. Um, it's definitely very interesting because the work that I do now, I work in logistics and it's just very different um, because I had, we had some understanding of logistics in our rotation because we would support logistics as a, when we were doing our manufacturing supervisor roles, but definitely mm-hmm. the type of technical knowledge that you need to have for, for these departments is a lot higher. And I had, a, I was, I don't know, I just had a really great opportunity that the the leadership of my new job believed in me, even though I came in with not a lot of logistics experience or 
you know, trade compliance experience, dangerous goods experience, or, um, you know, inventory control experience. You know, they, some of the feedback I got is that they felt that I was very driven. I was a quick learner and they liked my people leadership skills. So because of that, they gave me the opportunity and I have just really great people in my team. They're so knowledgeable and they're so patient and they teach me so much. You know, I'm almost close to three years now and I keep continuing to learn every day. And I'm just, just very impressed about, you know, how uh, I've been able to learn and grow in the company coming in with such little experience in logistics before this. Yeah, and Mariela, as a friend and person who's worked with you, I can definitely say I think you're being very modest in describing that. I think it's like a, a good trait of you as well because what you're described is only possible because you have the ability to make those relationships, build that knowledge, learn quickly, adapt quickly. So I definitely always respected that about you and still admired to, uh, about it to this day. So very, very proud of you to what you've achieved. Uh, you work in a very, um, you know, sought out company. I mean, if you're comfortable sharing, you can. And, uh, you know, you're in a very uh, coveted spot. But not only that, you've taken your success and you tried to share that with people in your community as well. I know you're very, very involved in SHIP. Uh, and if you could explain what that organization is and, you know, what role you yeah, play in so that. Yeah, so I am uh, an active volunteer for the Society of Hispanic Professional Engineers. It's more commonly, you know, heard of as SHIP. So it's S-H-P-E. And I have been a member for a very long time now. I think 2009. I've, I keep forgetting to count sometimes how many years. I think it's like 10 plus years now. And I started... Going into SHIP was a little bit hard at first because when I graduated uh, from high school, I was on top of my class. I was the number one, but I was on the top of my class. And I had the opportunity to get a lot of scholarships. Without scholarships, I would have not been able to afford to go to ASU or any school, to be honest. So I came in and I had 14, 15 scholarships I had to keep. And I was, you know, 4.0 student before. And I was very, like, I needed to keep that for point. I was just so stressed out about doing that. And I kept meeting people in my dorm. I, I decided to stay in the engineering dorm um, instead of the, I was also part of the honors college. But instead of doing honors college dorm, I wanted to do engineering just because I felt like that because my degree was in engineering, I would probably get the better study buddies and better network if I stayed there instead. So a lot of people in my in my floor or in the dorm were going to ship and they would talk a lot about it but I was just not very friendly or not very uh, it wasn't really about networking or making friends yet because I was just so stressed out as my first semester in college so I would say like I don't have enough time for friends or networking I have to keep my straight A's and I have to study all day long and that's all I would do I would just study and study all day long and uh, one of my really good friends after one semester of always saying how awesome ship was I was like you know what fine you keep talking about it I guess I'll go check out this one time but I'm probably never going to go again. He's going to go this one time only. And I had the opportunity to go to one of their meetings. And it was just so impressive. You know, we, we got there right at the beginning. So before anybody else started coming in. So we came in a little earlier. So we had the opportunity to meet the, the president. She was just such a great leader. And I remember she had just met me that first day. And then she told me right away, one day you're going to run and be one of our leaders. And I was like, nope, I'm not. You're never going to see me up there speaking in front of anybody. Because I don't like talking to people. But I just remember her just meeting me the first day and just kind of, you know, picking at me and saying, yes, you're going to be a great ship leader one day. 
even though I didn't, I didn't realize I would have, you know, any leadership experience or knowledge or opportunity, I guess, in the future. But I just felt really connected to them because I really, I was very passionate about volunteering and helping others because I felt that I had a lot of people along my way that had helped me. And because of them, I was able to think about college and think about scholarships, you know, uh, and eventually go to ASU. And SHIP was, and it still is, there's multiple chapters all over, you know, the country. So it, they're very agile. They're very about supporting the community and profession, you know, and also developing people to be professionals in the future. So I just got very connected to that. And my, my first semester there, I got the opportunity to be, um, I think it was outreach director. So I would support in uh, looking at different middle schools and high schools that we could go volunteer at. So that's what we would do. And that was just really exciting. I had the opportunity to do a lot of different types of roles while I was there. And when I think that I probably got a little bit of, a little snippet of people leadership, even though I didn't really realize that, I guess, at the time. But a lot of things that I would do was uh, we, we would, I would serve like as a mentor or uh, help other people with reviewing their resumes or I would help them with their personal uh, statements for when they were doing cover letters or applying to any type of grad school. Um, I would help practice people, help them practice for um, when they were doing interviews. A lot of people get very nervous. So help them kind of calm down and kind of practice or give them feedback of their answers or have them really think about what the question is asking about. And so it was really interesting because I did that all throughout my time at ASU that um, I also had another side role while I was at ASU where I would do that as a job, you know, supporting people that were coming in from community colleges that they were trying to learn. They're having a, lot, a, a learning curve going from a small community college to ASU. So I got the opportunity to continue some of that work there. And even after I graduated, sometimes my, my former um, manager will call me and say, hey, we have this new student or they have some interviews or very stressed out. Would you mind if I give them your number? You know, so even long gone after I was no longer at ASU, I still have the opportunity sometimes to support. But after I did that for as an undergrad, I got the opportunity to meet uh, one of my really great friends and mentors that was a professional already. And she was volunteering for the national the national organization. So what she did is that she was the um, special event. So special events at a national convention is any event that has a speaker and they serve food, which are like the galas, so opening ceremonies, breakfast and luncheons. So she had been doing that for some time now. And she was looking to expand her team and bring in a new person to her group. And while I was part of SHIP as an undergrad, I had the opportunity to lead and support some um, regional conferences. So she had uh, seen me work as a conference organizer before. So once I graduated, she reached out to me to ask me if I will be uh, willing to be or interested in be part of the National Convention Committee. And I think that that has been such a, a very humbling and exciting experience because I went from, you know, when you're a student, you go into a national convention, everything's just so, you know, sparkly and beautiful. And then you just have such a great experience. And now I'm able to contribute on the back of that and make sure that everybody attending is having that experience, you know, and then taking care of all the logistics in the background to make sure that they have that, you know, coming into a convention and feeling all the excitement that they have, that they're having good programs, that they're having good experiences in the gala, in the breakfast and luncheons. So I've been doing that since 2014. And 
14? Yes, yeah, since 2014 already. And um, I don't know, this is one of the things that I'm just very proud about. And I, I really love what I was able to, to accomplish through SHIP. And I'm very thankful that I can go back now as a professional and volunteer for the national conventions. I remember the first one I attended when I first joined, there were like 3,000 people back in the day. And then now we have almost 10,000 attending every year. So there's definitely grown and our committee has grown, our scope has grown, the programs that we lead have grown. So it's just very exciting to know that you're able to to be part of that growth. That's awesome. And Mariela, just to give like understanding of the scale of this, like first you, you know, we're reluctant to join this extracurricular activity that your friends kind of pushed you into. Then you realize that, hey, there's something that really uh, connected you to this network and helped you grow in your education and your career path. But not only that, you didn't stop there. You uh, went above and beyond to start contributing to that as well. And I remember there's one time where you held a, a like a mini conference, like a smaller scale conference in Albuquerque, and you were kind enough to invite me to that one. And I could just see the impact that your role was having. I'm sure there's a broader team that, you know, works with you, but that setting was having on these students. Um, so there was one speaker and this really resonated with me that day. You know, he was talking about, uh, he was talking about the characteristics that Hispanics get labeled with. And he said, engineering is nowhere on that list. And he shared an example where he said, if you Google my name, these are the type of pictures that come up in Google images. And they were, you know, none of those pictures reflected of an engineer or a professional in like a attire, uh, like, you know, a professional attire or a tie and suit. It was basically something that was just not on the radar. And he said, it is up to us, us as a community, uh, those are his words, uh, to change that perception. So he said, I want you to go on uh, Instagram and Google my name and see th what pops up. I want you to fill that picture into Google images as well. Like this is what our community should reflect. I could just remember I was inspired by that, but every single student that was listening to that, uh, you know, changed the way they approach what image they wanted to show in the future. So I could just remember that one example what like stuck with me so vividly and you have been part of that for many years and at a much, much larger scale, having a positive impact in your community, not just from where you came from, but at a national level. So I just think that is super incredible and I'm very Thank proud you. of you. You know, it's, kind of, well. it's just very exciting stuff because every year the conference travels. So um, every year we go to a different city. So it's definitely a, there, the national convention, the committee is all volunteers. So all of these people that are volunteering every year, there's almost a hundred of us. We're all professionals. So they have full-time jobs and this is what we do on the side. You know, so we all report and support the, the national staff. But, you know, this is something that everybody's passionate about. They've done it for many years. We have people that have been doing this for over 20 years already in their committees or that they have been in multiple committees. We have a lot of people that are now, um, that are part of the committee that are considered um, lifetime members as well. So we have lifetime members that are part of the committee as well that come in every year to support. But we do this on our, you know, after like our, this is like our site thing that we do outside of our, 
outside of our day-to-day work. So I'm always very excited and proud to work with everyone there because they're all so passionate. We deliver such great, you know, programs every year. And sometimes I think that a lot, when we reach out, for example, my type of role, we have to talk a lot with with companies and we have to call to their, whoever the representative is to, you know, work on details on what their events should be. And I feel like a lot of times they don't realize that we're volunteers. They just assume sometimes that we, that we work for SHIP. But uh, I know that one time, I remember somebody asked me a question and then I just happened to comment that that was just my, you know, I am a volunteer, but I'm not a full-time employee. And they were just very, you know, impressed by that because the type of, you know, customer service that they get and the experience, they had no idea that there's these like a hundred volunteers making sure that this happens, you know, working for 10 months out of a year straight to make sure that we deliver a great program on site. Yeah, I want to highlight how much work goes into it because I remember so many times you would say, oh, I've got a conference call tonight (laughs) after like a 12-hour shift that you would work on. (laughs) So uh, your work ethic is unparalleled and, you know, I'm super proud of what you achieve and, uh, you know, just, you know, grateful to be uh, friends with you that you invited me to such events and, you know, to share your inspiring story with me has always been, you know, something I hold dearly. So Mariela, we've become very good friends, I would like to say, and you've gotten to know me pretty well. So if there's one piece of advice you could give me, what would that piece of advice piece be? Of advice. And it could be general, doesn't have to be, you know, specific if you can't think of something. I would just say, just don't be afraid and just take a chance. You know, I think that, I think that you do that already very well. But I just, what I've seen in the past, you know, based on other people that know my own experiences, there's a lot of things that are very unconventional that I've tried or a lot of pivots I've done that have always taught me something new about myself. And if I had let myself be afraid, I would have not uh, realized it. And I feel that you're already really good at that. You're very, you know, you, you really are adventurous and you really like trying new things. And so I would just say, encourage you to continue to be that way. Continue to love learning, continue to love trying new things and just continue to see where, you know, life and career takes you. Yeah, and honestly, I mean, thank you for that. But it's people like you that I've come across that really inspired me to do that. I mean, your story is just incredible. And not only that, but you are spreading that and enabling your community and the people around you to achieve their very best as well. And that's what makes you very special, Mariela. So I'm very, very proud of you and uh, super grateful to be your friend. And uh, I can't wait till our paths cross again. When are you visiting Buffalo? (laughs) I'm going to have to go over there and check it out. (laughs) Agreed. (laughs) You're welcome anytime. Awesome. Hey, Mariela, great, great catching up. And uh, I hope to see you soon. There's a quote by Bill Nye that says, everyone you'll ever meet knows something you don't. And today I learned from Mariela, well, I've learned a lot from Mariela, but all in all, it's just anything is possible. Don't let fear limit what you can do because quite literally Mariela is an example of how anything is possible. Thanks, Mariela.